From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Hurricane Dorian is moving north after lashing the coast and outer banks of the Carolinas with heavy winds, rain, and tornadoes. And Georgians are moving back to their homes. Hurricane force winds only edged along the state's coast in the end, causing less flooding and havoc than predicted. Still, the impact on the economies and lives of the areas east of I-95 under mandatory evacuation remains, along with plenty of evidence that those orders were ignored. We're looking at the storm's aftermath today with Emily Jones from GPB Savannah Bureau, who's been covering the storm for days. Emily, glad to hear you're safe and sound. Hi, Virginia. Thanks. Predicting where a hurricane will end up is an inexact science. Here's what the Weather Channel said of Dorian a week ago. Flooding is going to be a major concern. Now, coastal flooding surge, we could see days with power outages for parts of the coast, and that's because this storm could pack a lot of wind for a long duration. Well, sigh of relief there along the coast of Georgia. We beginning with predictions that Dorian would make landfall in early in Florida earlier this week, but it took longer for the storm to hit the coastline and pretty much passed along Georgia offshore. How are things looking in Savannah today, Emily? I mean, it's a beautiful day in Savannah, first of all, which often happens after a storm. I'm, I, I see nothing but blue sky out my window. It's a lovely sunny day. Um, and, you know, Savannah had uh, some debris down um, yesterday, and there's still some of that today as people clean up. But it was really a lot less than predicted and a lot less than we experienced in prior hurricanes as yeah. well. How much rain did Savannah and other coastal areas get? It depends on um, where you're taking the measurement, but it, it was, for most places, in the order of one to two inches, mm. um, which was, you know, less than they predicted. But the storm surge and flooding were big concerns, especially for the coastal islands. How did that pan out in the end? Well, we basically got really lucky with the timing of the storm. Um the storm surge was actually within the prediction that they forecast. The National Weather Service said um, we could see a three to five foot uh, storm surge from Dorian, and we did. It was it ended up being three point five feet, but um, you know, in the days before the storm hit, it was looking like we were going to experience that storm surge right around high tide, mm-hmm. and so they were expecting some very serious flooding. As it panned out, um, it actually hit at low tide. So we had three and a half feet of storm surge, but we didn't. there wasn't really flooding from that because uh, it was low tide. Well, there have been plenty of Internet memes about dire warnings for Dorian being overblown. <laughs> Governor Kemp did issue mandatory evacuation orders for anyone east of I-95 in certain counties. How many people complied and actually left the coast? A total number is really hard to gauge because, of course, a lot of people get in their own car and drive, mm-hmm. um, and that's not really something that's easy to count. But um, it was it was definitely fewer than than have left in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, about 1,100 people took buses from the Savannah Civic Center. That's people who don't have their own means of transportation. They they can go and get a bus to a shelter in Augusta. Um, and that's about that's about half of of the people who left during Matthew. Um, of course, the numbers varied for different different counties up and down the coast, but fewer fewer people left for sure. That is that is definite. And what did you hear from people who decided not to evacuate? A lot of people just sort of suspected that this storm wasn't going to be that bad. That that you know. So, the the coast kept moving in and out of that that cone of uncertainty of where the track of the storm might go. But but you know people 
felt like this just storm wasn't going to be as bad as Matthew. It wasn't going to be as bad as Irma. Um, of course, that was a really hard thing to predict ahead of time, but they, they did end up being right. Was the traffic leaving the area one of the things that might have kept people in place? It might have been, um, as well as their experience evacuating in prior storms. You know, people were pretty frustrated um, after Hurricane Matthew in 2016 um, because they evacuated, and then um, it was a long time before the order was lifted and they were able to get back in because there was so much damage and roads weren't safe and, and there were power outages. You know, they, they had to delay the, the return of people, but that frustrated a lot of people. And then with Hurricane Irma, a lot of people evacuated, and then the track of the storm shifted, and it turned out they were evacuated kind of into the path of the storm. So uh, some people were, were frustrated, I think, with their prior experience and were kind of like, this doesn't seem like it's worth it to leave when the impacts might not be so bad. There was a report earlier this week that low-income communities are disproportionately affected by climate change and extreme weather. And evacuating is expensive. You have to shell out for hotel rooms or crash with friends. Brenda Meeks of Savannah explained her situation to GPB. Either not paying, not eating, or try to pay my rent, or don't leave town. And as you said, a lot of people decided not to leave town. GPB's Grant Blankenship, our colleague, asked a FEMA official what people like Meek should do. How does FEMA advise people who are worried about the cost of leaving? Well, that FEMA official's uh, response to our colleague Grant was basically people should set aside a little bit of money um, to to save, to to help pay for something like this, um, you know, a, a little bit of a nest egg for the next evacuation, which, you know, a large portion of Savannah lives below the poverty line, and a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. Um, so that could be pretty difficult advice to follow uh, for, for a lot of people here. Well, some do argue that central control of evacuation decisions encourages overcaution. You know, no official wants to be blamed for, you know, look what happened in the Bahamas. Look what happened during Hugo, for example, uh, 20 years ago or so. Do you think residents recognize that and kind of cock their eyebrows and say, eh, I'll stay? Yeah, uh, I think I think that is that is some of the response. Um, I think people, you know, in this day and age, there's so much forecasting and there is so much um, information that's out there. The National Hurricane Center releases updates every couple of hours that are available to everybody. And so a lot of people are watching the storm themselves in addition to getting information from officials and um, yeah, I think I think a lot of people make their own judgments instead of instead of listening to what uh, what forecasters and what state and local officials uh, say about what what the impacts could be, and that's sort of what they base their decision on. Sometimes you spoke with Tybee Island Mayor Jason Bilterman. Here is what he said about what what we're talking about: evacuation fatigue. If that's our biggest issue, is convincing people to leave in the future. You know, we don't have homes that are flooded. We don't have property that's destroyed. We don't have a beach that's completely gone. Um, we don't have people's lives turned upside down for the third time in four years. Then that's fine with me. Yeah, so a good result in the end. But the real concern about if the coast evacuates for what turns out to be heavy rain, will residents be as willing to leave before the next big one? So, so what are officials going to do about evacuation fatigue? I think, and, and what, what Jason Bilterman said to me is they're just going to try to, you know, give people the best information they can and encourage them to listen to evacuation orders when they come in. Um, you know, par- part of it is that just every storm is 
really different. And so even though uh, this one, we ended up lucky and didn't didn't really see many impacts, that doesn't that doesn't have any bearing on whether the next storm is going to impact us. So I think that's kind of what officials are banking on is that, you know, next time there's a forecast and it looks bad, that they'll be able to convey uh, that information. Whether that's true or not, you know, we can't really tell until there's another evacuation, which hopefully won't be for a long time. Yeah, well, the hurricanes have been pretty painful in Georgia in recent years with Irma and Michael. So what are forecasters predicting for the rest of this season? Well, we are in the most active part of hurricane season. The sort of uh, late, late August, September, October is the time when we usually see more, more hurricanes. Um, and they actually, a couple weeks ago, did revise the, the forecast for hurricane season. Uh, you know, initially they were saying it might be a little lower. Now they're saying they're predicting an above average season. Um, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that any of those storms are going to come toward Georgia, but uh, we're not we're not out of hurricane season yet. And the the you know the storms you mentioned from past years, Matthew, Michael, Irma, all came in you know what are now the coming weeks, and later in September and in October. So, yeah. Emily Jones, thanks so much. Stay safe. Thank you. Emily Jones from RGPB Morning Edition host and reporter out of Savannah. GPB will be keeping you up on the weather throughout the hurricane season, of course, so stay with us for that.